Hello and welcome to another episode of Saying the Tone in the R Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and joining me today, as always, are Lauren. Ahoy hoy! And Daniel. Hey! Today we're discussing Season 5, Episode 10, which is titled The Miracle Worker. Who doesn't love a Christmas episode? The episode aired on December 17th, 1998. Our last episode of 1998, Lauren was going on that week 23 years ago. Ricky Williams, a running back from the University of Texas, wins the 64th Heisman Trophy Award. He would go on to have a troubled 11-season career in the NFL, being suspended multiple times for drug violations. Notably also had one season in the CFL on the Toronto Argonauts. Oh, Ricky. Star Trek Insurrection, the third movie to feature the cast of Star Trek The Next Generation, debuts and takes the number one spot at the box office... And I'm Your Angel by R. Kelly and Celine Dion is still the number one song. Yep. Star Trek Star Trek Insurrection, that classic, that classic, classic Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah. Where, a, where someone gets their face literally peeled apart or something like say, that. Yeah, or that, what the hell, a, a man, the hell Daniel's talking about. A man gets his face stretched to death with the most 1998 CGI imaginable. It's, but I, again, Star Trek Insurrection, not a bad movie. Just not. It's not really like worth being a movie like it was just a really long episode of the show basically isn't like, that basically every, everything except for the the new kelvin trilogy kelvin timeline movies I, at least for the uh next generation cast like it was that was basically always the, the case except for first contact first contact was the only like truly good movie they had the rest of them all were just like they, and there's not really a bad next generation star trek movie they're all just like really long episodes of the show like it's just it's you know and star trek insurrection was probably the the like weakest of the bunch i would say but uh as far as what else was on as as you might imagine being eight days before the big day lots of christmas episodes abound this week uh at 8 p.m friends with the episode the one with the inappropriate sister Maybe that's a Christmas episode. Who knows? Friends fans, I'm sure, will tell me. Uh, at 8.30 p.m., Jesse, for the second time this season, going to the Boo naming convention. If you'll recall, a few weeks ago, around Halloween, when it made sense, they had an episode called Boo, He's Back. Well, apparently now, Boo, He's Gone. I don't know. I can only assume with Christmas coming up that this has something to do with Jesus. And, like, <laughs> resurrection. <laughs> But that's, that's Easter. That's not Christmas. But I don't know. Um, at 9 p.m., Frasier with the episode Merry Christmas, Mrs. Moskowitz. Lauren, anything? Christmas episode? Sure. Don't. Shrugs uh, abound from yeah. the side of the microphone. Frasier rewatched, found dead in a ditch. Uh, at 9.30 p.m., Veronica's Closet with the episode Veronica's Secret Santa. And middle fingers abound as well. <laughs> Stop this, narrating everything I do. This week's episode uh, had 29.8 million viewers still dancing around that 30 million figure, which I think we might get back over next week. If not next week, definitely the week after. Uh, this week's episode is directed by Leslie Gladder doing her fifth out of 13. Uh, previous one of hers from this season we did was Vanishing Act. And this week's episode is written by Paul Manning. A pretty notable final episode here doing his 15th out of 15 episodes that he wrote. Previous uh, ones of his uh, the highlights, I guess, of the ones he did, uh, Night Shift, Sleepless in Chicago, and Blizzard. So some pretty big ones in there. And uh, we may have mentioned this on a previous episode that he did, um, that he wrote, but uh, he did actually pass away in 2005. So this is his... Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, this is his last uh, last thing he did on the show. So, uh, And I also want to note, no genie this episode for the third time this season. Hmm. Three out of ten, no genie. Weird. Could they be prepping her exit? Hmm. Hmm. So with that, our previously on is brought to us by Carter this time, and we open with Doug and Carol talking about plans at her mom's house after church, and they're going Christmas caroling with her uncle, and um, Doug doesn't want to go to Mass. He's agnostic or an atheist. Um, He says, everyone looks at me with those dirty looks like I'm a pagan. He's not going to change who he is. This is a through line for the episode. He'll go caroling, but he's not going to mass. Hey, pagans invented Christmas, so... Right? Stay strong, Doug. I feel you, man. I've been there. I've been the only non-Catholic at the Christmas party, you know? Like, it's not a fun time. Uh, Then Carrie comes in talking about how beautiful it is outside, and we have Jerry being a curmudgeon complaining about Amanda Lee's new charting system because now there are two charts per patient, one for nurses, one for doctors. 
Everybody else agrees that this is actually kind of a great system. Jerry's pissed because it means it's more work for him. And then to assuage Jerry's wrath, Amanda shows up bringing in a giant tray of what she calls assorted Christmas nibbles and bribes him with food to try and get on his good side because she knows she's created so much extra work for him and she lets him know to let her know if he needs any new support for this because it's her fault. See, we should already be clued into the fact that she's a sociopath by her use of the term nibbles. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I could easily see that being some Lauren phraseology around the holidays. Never. I have never referred to something as a nibble ever when it comes to food. Just saying, I could see it. I'll start now, just to be creepy. Please but... don't. I thought I was dating, I didn't think I was dating a serial killer, but you know, here we are. Um, and then we go up to the surgical floor. Corday comes into the surgical lounge to find Peter wrapping a present. Aww. Uh, and it's for her. It's a T.S. Eliot book because she mentioned... She mentioned she liked him when they were still together. So and Peter was like, I don't know what the fuck else I'm going to do with this thing. May as well just give it to her anyway. And we learned that it's Christmas Eve and Peter's trying to get out early to go see Reese. An admirable goal. Um, Corday bought a ticket. Corday was so desperate to do something on Christmas Eve that she bought a ticket to the Surgeon Society Gala. Uh, where she'll be sitting with Romano at the table. Uh. <laughs> Yikes. Um, that is some true desperation right there. Um, and he shows up right then to talk about some, to talk about what you should wear. He says some, something short and off the shoulder, uh, would be ideal. Just, uh, I feel like he's uh, really dialed it up lately. Yeah. Just a little bit and ask Peter to cover his teaching rounds. And Peter's like, what the hell? And he's, and Romano's like, I get to have a life and you get to have a special place in my heart. Whew. It, it would AKA all get fucked. It would almost be intolerable if you didn't know what was going to happen to him by the end of the episode. Like it would be, it would almost be too much to take. But uh, we go from there right into the intro. In with more bangs. Ten for ten on the bangs so far this season. Uh, coming out of the intro, Mark comes in. We learn that his car died on the Dan Ryan Chicago desk. Yes, yeah, that's the south part. So the major highway, the major highway that runs through. Um, that runs through Chicago. The land area is ninety ninety four. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sub the southern part of that the uh, the southern part of it that branch eventually branches off into. Um, I believe it's I believe it's ninety four that branches off and it's still called the Dan Ryan. It's called the Dan Ryan Expressway, and then the northern part is called the Kennedy. So, ah. do we know who Dan Ryan is or why he got an expressway named after him? No fucking clue. All right, cool. Uh, we learned that uh, Jen sent Jerry a Christmas card and that they've apparently been doing this for years, which I really like as a headcanon. I think that's adorable that, like, Jen and Jerry are, like, secret besties. I do want to know. So there's a little bit of gossip here between Jerry and Lydia about some of the good news in her newsletter. And I do want to note there was a little continuity note here uh, because they mentioned that uh, Jennifer just made partner at her firm. Uh, and I would like to point everyone to a conversation between uh, Mark and Jennifer in season eight, where she says that she just made partner uh, ostensibly three mm. three years from now. So was it maybe it's at a different firm? Could be at a different firm, maybe. But I, I think once you make partner, you're kind of in. I'm sure Jake will probably, you know, clue us in on this. But like once people, yeah, you know, maybe they were desperate and made her partner just to attract some different clientele maybe so but it could be and then it all fell apart could be just a potential you know potential continuity hole there but uh we then go to uh the requisite beating over the head that it's christmas scene where carter is reading a christmas card in the trauma room with lucy uh patient's name that he's the patient who sent him the card is named emily rapella but he does not remember her and that name doesn't strike any memory with me so i don't think it's meant to be anybody we're supposed to remember but uh, first time this episode, Lauren. Whose films are those? There's not even a patient, guys. You've got to turn these rooms around better. Well, maybe they're in the process of turning the room. Who knows? You know. uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, but Lucy and Carter are talking about their belief in God, which is comes up a lot this episode. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. There's a lot of God talk in this episode. I mean, it's a Christmas episode. So. Yeah, it is. It is. 
Uh, and then Corday offers to start the pre-ops so the pre-ops so uh, Peter can save some time and still potentially get out to see his family. Uh, we start off with Mr. Gardner, who who uh, turns out has a, a good MRI. Doesn't his cancer hasn't expanded? And this is this is the guy I cannot place where I know where else I know him from. Maybe I just remember this episode because for some reason this episode sticks out in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I'll go into that later, Same. but. It's probably just here, but who plays this gentleman? Yeah, he has a very distinctive voice, or, or maybe not even voice, but just like cadence. Like the way he talks is very kind of distinctive. And yeah, he does have sort of a, a very recognizable face. And his his IMDb is not like super remarkable. The actor's name is Tom Amandez. Amandez. Uh, he appeared in stuff like The Long Kiss Goodnight, Everwood, and the miniseries From the Earth to the Moon. I'm just showing Lizzie things on his filmography. To okay, see he was on Grace, according to Wikipedia. So maybe I remember seeing him on there. I, who the fuck knows? Anyway, uh, he has to have his prostate removed. Fun times. Um, and and apparently Dr. Romano did not talk to him about potentially losing sexual function. And it's a pretty high chance he's going to lose that, about 75 to 80%. So... Uh, Corday tells him to consider visiting uh, a sperm bank so he can still have children in the future if if he chooses. And then Jerry goes into the lounge and finds Amanda Lee in Mark's locker. Totally normal. And he's like, what were you doing in Mark's locker? That's not your locker. That's Dr. Green's locker. Why were you in Dr. Green's locker? <laughs> like, he just immediately calls her out on it. Nothing out of place here. Nope. And she says, oh, it was a jar. I wanted to close it to make sure, like, nobody got into it. Totally normal. Totally. Jerry. Totally legit. Um, Mark then wheels in a heavyset little person dressed as an elf. The patient is trying to save them time by saying what his diagnosis is and what they need to do to treat him. And throughout this whole thing, he's just like, shock me at 50. Just shock me at 50. Shock me at 50. I promise this will go faster if you just shock me at 50. But the first time he says, you want to shock me at 50 now, smartass? After 10, <laughs> 20, and 30 don't work. So just excellent, excellent um, play with um, Anthony Edwards in this scene. Yeah, very, very good. And is it Lydia that's with them too? I think so. Yeah, that sounds right. Because we get some peak nurse face during this. Yeah, at one point I think she she's like, maybe you should just go to 50. Like, just kind of like yeah. trying to nudge him along. We see a lot more of Lydia this episode than we have in a while. I yeah. feel like. Yeah, I think at least since the Halloween episode when she was walking around in her maid outfit. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and our, our elf here, our disgruntled elf, is played by actor Cork Hubbard, who appeared in a ton of TV shows, uh, highlights of mm-hmm. which included Magnum P.I., Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and The Drew Carey Show. And unfortunately, he passed away in 2003. And then we have an 18-year-old kid that is brought in who is flatlined. He was brought in by the paramedics. Mom found him up in his room. Uh, who plays the mom, Daniel? Uh, Lori O'Brien, who was in Harry and the Hendersons and was also the voice of Piggy on Muppet Babies. I think that might take the, the crown for most random. Yeah. you know. Where do you know this person from? <laughs> I dig it. Uh, Doug, Carter, and Lucy are all working on the trauma. It turns out that this kid had a killer headache, went for a nap, and did not wake up. Basically um, my basically my nightmare. Uh, he has no response to pain and his unresponsive pupils. Brain aneurysms fuck me up. Uh, you know what else is scary? Life. Suit up. Yes. So, yikes. Yikes. Um, but yeah, so and this kid's name is Steven. So... We will come back to him. Yeah, and we go back to uh, Mark with the elf. Uh, Mark still refusing go to go to going up to fifty, and uh, after another shock, uh, the elf man complains, "Can we go to fifty while I still have hair on my chest?" And fifty it turns out a shock at fifty did it. So and he walks out and says, "Thanks for nothing, Doctor Mangali." What is it? What is it? Mangala. Mangala. Said, Do you know who for... that is? No, he said, thanks for nothing, Dr. Mengele. And who the hell is Dr. Mengele? Lauren. Dano, you want this one or do you I, want I'm me a, to take it? I'll let it? you have the floor. Uh, really, really shitty Nazi doctor who oh. did a bunch of torture on patients and cruel experimentation. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So he's making a, a, a Holocaust joke. Yeesh. Not quite a Holocaust joke. Yeah. That's putting it wrong, but he a historical reference to make his point. Yeah. Oh boy. So yeah, not great. 
But we go out of that uh, 18-year-old Steven is still down. Uh, he's been down for 12 minutes since he got there and ostensibly was already down for a while before then. Uh, Doug sends Carter out to chairs to talk with the mother. Uh, Carter explains the, the likelihood of the brain hemorrhage that they um, suspect has happened and you know the poor likelihood of recovery. Uh, runs back into the trauma to bag him uh, when Doug wants to call it uh, because he's determined after talking to the mother that this is going to be his Christmas miracle, damn it. Like, Doug is like already, he, Doug is like just about to call time of death when Carter bursts into the room and is like, nope, we're doing this. Like, get another, you know, keep bagging him, get another round of Epi going. Like, he's like determined to do this. Uh, and they get a rhythm back for better or worse, uh, mostly worse. Uh, yeah. They're going to go take him up and get a CT to see where the bleed is coming from. And uh, Doug just kind of very matter-of-factly tells him that he needs to go prepare the mom for the likelihood of brain damage. And it's it, it's kind of cool to see the, like, not, not necessarily juxtaposition because Carter is not necessarily usually the most level-headed either. But, like, it is kind of cool to see Doug on the other side of it where he's, like, Usually Doug is the one that comes bursting through the door and is like, no, we're going to keep doing this. We're going to save this kid. Da, 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 whatever. Like, yeah, it's kind of cool to get to see him play the like stoic older doctor. That's like, nah, dude, this was dude, This was stupid. And you're going to learn why very soon. Yeah. When someone's down and dead for 30 plus minutes, bringing them back is generally not advised. Not a great idea. I feel like they do a better job of this on Grey's Anatomy personally. That's one thing I think that it does, that, because I feel like their timelines are more realistic. So, like, if someone's down for, like, 10 to 15 minutes or something, like, they don't even bother. They're just like, no, he's, they're gone. Like, whereas this, they go, like, 30, 45, sometimes an hour. Mm. And it's like, no, that's okay. That person, that person's bad. But they're, just, just, they're also trying to keep the grenade alive. Okay, like there's the, the, there's true. other considerations there's a, with those. There is a patients. grenade in every single patient's chest yes. who walks to the door. Yes, there is. Sometimes they're bad. It's not even actually a grenade, but I'm not even going to go into that. There it is. There so, it is. Sometimes they're butt. So sometimes they're butt. Screw you, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay uh, if I can't have Survivor as one of our offshoots. I'm just going to implode this whole show. Let's go. Ugh. So then we go from there where Carol is talking to her mom, tells her, of course, they're coming to the Christmas uh, get together. And Uncle Ted wants Doug to play Silent Night on tambourine, which is just a great image, especially if it's drunk Clooney from the uh, staff party from last season. Like, can we get can we get that Clooney playing Silent Night on tambourine? Yes, please. Uh, And then she good, good Carol, good Carol moment here tells mom that she needs to respect Doug's choice of not coming to mass. A plus. A plus there. Gold star for Carol. You know who wouldn't have done that? My mom. April Kepner. Oh, we're, we're talking grays now? You you got it in my head. We've watched so much together. Just, it's where I'm at. And April just had her baby in just, the episode we just watched. Just cut this, Daniel. I'm no, sorry. No, it's fine. Got to appeal to the Grey's Anatomy fans for when we talk about that show in... 20 years. years. Um... Then uh, Mark is headed out to the Roach Coach, but uh, oh no, his uh, his gloves are missing. Hmm. hmm. And Jerry says Amanda took them because she was rooting around at his locker. It's a fair, yeah. it's a fair assessment. And Carrie tells him he's just doing it because he's mad about the charts. Okay, I, can I petition to rename this episode from the Miracle Worker to? Jerry gets gaslit by every single person <laughs> in this goddamn place. Yes. Jerry, uh, this is a, such a gold Jerry episode. Like, I just love how hard Jerry has her clocked and no one believes him. It's the same as, like, when uh, Scotty Pippen yeah. Yeah. came and nobody believed him. Just... Nobody believes Jerry. Jerry who cried wolf. Um, but then Lizzie tells Benton she's finished his pre-ops and Benton may make his dinner after all. But then Rocket shows up with another patient that he insists Benton takes because he's too busy and he has to have a social life. Um, We go back to Steven, the 18-year-old. He is brain dead. He has type AB blood, which is 2% of the population, so he's not even a great candidate for a donor. Um, And Nurse Shirley tells Lizzie that David Gardner is having an MI and they're taking him to the ER. Oh, no. So let's uh, head out uh, 
after that, let's head out to the Roach Coach where Amanda and Mark are having a, a an odd conversation. Hey, I just took an unusual complaint. An elf with an attitude claims you tried to torture him with the cardioversion paddles? Uh, we differed over treatment strategies. I wouldn't quite call it torture. I know. I read the chart. It's clearly a nut case. I just want to make sure you were all right. I'm okay. Although, to be perfectly honest, I could have handled it better. I'm a little off my game today. Blame it on the holidays. Is it a rough time of year for you? Not usually. My ex-wife, she sent out this newsletter saying how happy she is. I can't help but seeing it as her way of saying, hey, look how well I traded up. I got it. Thanks. Yeah, it's a tough time of year for me, too. Really? This is the first Christmas since my brother committed suicide. Oh, geez, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's one of those apocalyptic cult things, you know, the guys with the sneakers? Oh, yeah. thought that was a couple of years ago. Well, he missed the big event, so he decided to follow on his own. Oh, sorry. I, I gotta say, you're handling it better than I would have. Well, I credit that to my grandma Lee. She always said, whatever life throws at you, you have to greet it with a smile. There's nothing as contagious as a positive attitude. So I think we'd all be better off if we followed Grandma's advice. Uh, just so you know, the cult that she is referring to is the Heaven's <laughs> I Gate. I was going to say, yeah, uh, the, the Heaven's Gate guys, yeah, with their their brand new Nikes and their Kool-Aid. Their, was it, was it, it wasn't arsenic, I don't think it was. I thought that was the arsenic and the Kool-Aid. Maybe it was, yeah, but they, they definitely drank some kind of concoction that killed them and they, they all like put blankets over their face it like the the news footage of it is really creepy because of course there's no blood or gore so they just showed it on the news and like there's this yeah. room full of like cots basically Isn't it just like a row of yeah a row of cots with dead bodies yeah and there's people just laying on it with blankets covering their faces and brand new shiny white nikes sticking out from under the the blanket it's very it's a very creepy visual yeah but so yeah, totally normal life that Amanda has led. She's such a good liar, though. Like I know, when he like <laughs> when he's like, "Oh, I thought that was a few years ago." Like she's like unflappable. Like just like immediately pivots and adds another layer onto the lie. Like it's so good. Wow, I, everything I knew about this was a lie. To kill themselves, members took phenobarbital mixed with applesauce or pudding and washed it down with vodka. Oh, okay, well there you go. What, who the hell is the Kool-Aid then? Uh, what Jonestown, I think, did was Kool-Aid. Um, I don't know. Kool-Aid kind of became the like go-to sort of like shorthand for cult mass suicides. Like they drank the Kool-Aid sort of. Yep, Jonestown. Yeah, Jonestown was the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Sorry guys, D two. This was there. something. Th- um, their whole thing was they thought they were like trying to catch the Hale Bob comet or something, right? Like, yep. Yeah. Yep. To catch the aliens because they believed they wanted to ascend from. <sighs> Yeah, just and she's such a good liar. She does all of this so convinced and so deadpan that there's no no hesitation. Ex- except for how outlandish her shit is, there would be no reason to doubt right. her. Yeah, like like dial it back a little, woman. Like if you're gonna be a creep, just dial it. To, you're at like an eleven. We should dial it back to like a. Well, six it, I think it's clear be- though that she is some kind of like compulsive liar to where I feel like she has to keep escalating the stakes for herself to still get the kind of rush and the high from it. Mm -hmm. So like telling boring, you know, vanilla white lies isn't really doing it for her anymore. So now she's like, she's managed to con her way into this like job, like this big person job and like is now having to continue to up the stakes further to still get the high from it. I think it's, it's a really well told story actually. So yeah, that's where you get, instead of being, oh yeah, my brother was killed in a robbery three years ago, to, oh yeah, my brother was a, fa- uh, missed the the, mass, comet. the mass suicide and was trying to join him. Jesus. Uh, then we have David Gardner coming into Trauma 1, and I have several questions about this. Why are they bringing him in from the elevator? Why wouldn't Carrie know he's Lizzie's patient? Why wouldn't he this issue be handled up in the surgical floor where he was? All of these are answered, but at the time, this is very poorly explained why Nurse Shirley is telling Lizzie that he's being brought down to the ER for a heart attack. Yeah. Because we last we saw him, he was sitting in his hospital bed. Totally fine. Chilling up with Lizzie. Yeah. So we would think he's still in her purview. Um, but Lizzie has him doing some slow breathing to try and calm down. Carrie has an epiphany on who he is. He's a famous trumpetist for the symphony. 
And Carrie keeps yapping while Lizzie is trying to get him to just chill. And Carrie looks at his um, EKG and thinks it was not just an anxiety attack, but an anxiety attack, not an MI. I think this might be my favorite use so far of the patient POV camera. Yes, (laughs) extremely good use of it. And I love the look on Corday's face the entire time. Just so irritated and like, just will you shut (laughs) up, Carrie, please shut up. Oh, so good. <laughs> we go from there to Benton working with a larger uh, patient complaining of pain and discomfort and uh, a lack of weight loss since he had his stomach stapled recently. Uh, <sighs> Jesus. Yeah. Turns uh. turns out that he's not he's been partially following the dietary uh, guidelines by he's been blending all of his food, but he hasn't actually changed his diet at all. So, Yeah. Like he's he's still eating like, you know, fried chicken and all of the like stuff he's not supposed to eat. But now he is blending it. So he's at least followed that protocol, uh, including up to and including putting ham in a smoothie. So as a breakfast. Good on you, sir. Um, They're going to give him a laxative and a gastric X-ray. And our uh, patient here, Mr. Demisa, is played by actor Travis McKenna, who appeared in the movies Batman Returns, Van Wilder and Roadhouse. And I imagine he's got. Like he's having the like the 90s gastric bypass surgery, which is like much more barbaric than what they do now. Like this was hardcore. They just staple your fucking stomach and make it smaller. Like the surgeries yeah. now are much more nuanced and much more. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't know. Oh, yeah. yeah. 90s gastric bypass was like barbaric compared to what they do now and what they do now is now they'll just sleeve it and make it smaller that way. But still have. Yeah. Like. Oh. oh yeah. Oh, it's a gastric. Oh, it's gastric sleeve. That's what yeah. that is. Okay. Yeah. But also, I have a little bit of problem with this storyline. I mean, besides the fact that ha 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 fat people, am I right? It's ha 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 fatty can't control himself. Yeah. Which we'll get into. But I know for some people, compulsive overeating is a thing, and I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But that's not how this is supposed to be portrayed to us, based on how this story progresses. Yeah. I mean, there. I- I guess the only saving grace from it is that there's been other things that they've portrayed yeah. more clumsily. Like this, this one doesn't yeah. venture into the, some of the territory that we've seen in previous instances. But also as a hypersensitive snowflake, who is also a fat person, I'm going to look for it where it's not there. So no, there's, there's definitely a little something there. Uh, and then we're going to go back to uh, the brain dead kids. Mom uh, was talking. She was uh, talking to uh, Steven, uh, Thinks he was responding to her voice because his arm twitched or something like that. Carter tells her that's not possible because of the level of brain activity and that time really won't help something like this. And Lucy brings up the option. The natural progression of this option would be to uh, for him to become an organ donor, possibly. And Mom says no. And then Carter, you know, is like, at least if we want to... You know, for the sake of for the sake of your son and everything, at least sign a DNR so we're not artificially keeping him alive and basically torturing him every time he goes into cardiac arrest. And he will go into cardiac arrest because he's brain dead. And the mom wants to hope for a miracle, though. I I will say, like, as full disclosure, as somebody who's never been faced with this type of decision, and it makes a world more of sense in an episode like this with. Um, you know, an 18 year old kid who had his whole life in front of him and something awful just happened to happen to him. Um, But this is probably like my least favorite trope in medical shows in general, not just ER, but in medical shows is the complete lack of like common sense. Common sense is the wrong word, but just like the complete lack of any sort of pragmatism from any loved one ever when faced with this type of situation. Like you always see this happen in medical shows where it's like, grandma had a heart attack or grandma had a stroke or whatever or you know whatever it is and they always like cut to some tearful relative on the side of the gurney who's like oh but there's still a chance you know we could still like they could come out of it you know we we have no souls grandma had a heart attack whatever no i'm just saying like but yeah it, it really is a trope with medical shows that like there has never once been pragmatic relative like there's never once been a a relative who was like you know what this sucks it was really shitty i'm really sad about it and this is gonna be really hard to get through but i'm not obviously i'm not going to continue to put them through all of this and i'm not going to continue to like 
I'm going to listen to what these objectively like educated doctors are telling me that there's 0% chance that this person is ever going to recover any sort of meaningful brain activity. Like maybe just let them go peacefully, but that we always have to do this in every medical show where there's always somebody like, no, damn it. We're, they're going to survive through the power of friendship or whatever the fuck. Like, it's just, it's the power of love. Yeah. Like at a, it just gets a little bit tiring this sometimes. Is, and it's not an ER is, problem or a Grey's Anatomy problem. It's just a, it's a medical shows ad nauseum problem. This is literally the power of Christ compels you. And maybe that's a little bit too what it is too. Like it's, it's a little bit with, with the Christmas episode aspect and with the heavy God stuff in this episode, it is just a little bit kind of, I don't know. Yep. Um, but then we go on. Mark is checking on Mrs. Hutton, an elderly woman who fainted while shopping at Marshall Fields. And I just have to say, I love Lydia's little Christmas outfit today. Uh, Mark asks for a panel of tests, and Mrs. Hutton asks how much they cost. Mark, of course, being a doctor, not a billing person, has no idea. And she yells at him, accusing him um, of trying to play her into paying a ton of money. And she sa- and then he says, no, we'll charge your insurance. And he says, it's crooks like you that keep my premium so high. And just starts screaming about how she wants any doctor other than him. I want another doctor. <laughs> Anyone but him. I don't like how he smiles. And just goes off. And just ladies bonkers. And I love her. <laughs> completely, completely undoing Amanda's advice from earlier. I absolutely remembered this woman. Oh, yeah. I remember the two things I remember the most. The three things I remember the most from this episode are. Actually, I remember a lot of this episode. This is just a really memorable episode. I don't know why. But. <laughs> It's not even a particularly good Christmas episode. It's a perfectly good episode of the show, but we're, we'll get into that later. Yeah, she's she has this very, like, uh, especially with her voice, she has this very, like, older um, Catherine Hepburn quality to her voice, where she mm-hmm. has that very, like, old Hollywood actress kind of voice and the way she talks. Like, she's very, very memorable. Uh, Lizzie says that Mr. Gardner's labs look great, uh, and he says that he feels like an idiot for having the anxiety attack, you know, but... Been there. Been there, you know, it's, it's, it, but you never need to feel bad about that. It's it's okay. We're all human. Um, says that he needs to get this surgery done because he's having a televised special and needs to be recovered by then. And it's at this point where it starts to turn, where he tries starts trying to flirt with her a little bit asking what kind of music she's into and she's kind of like giving it back to him like she mentions that she's uh very sheepishly mentions that uh she's into disco at the moment i will say i'm i upon listening to later on in the episode there's a moment where he mentions the men's magazine Mm -hmm. and i wasn't sure if he meant the magazine for men or the magazine with men i believe the the former i believe he meant the okay because I, I wasn't sure if that was their subtle way of saying that he was just a gay man who hadn't had a lot of experience. Yeah, I, I could see where mm-hmm. you could, could right. go down that that line of thinking. But I, I do think he is a, a straight yeah. guy, and I think he is just a little bit shy. I mean, he's a fucking he's a trumpet player yeah. in an orchestra. Of course he's Because I do love their chemistry together. But I just wanted to point that out before we got to that later part, since we're talking about The thing about that them I wanted blurting. to, like, or the thing that I kind of blanched at was was more so which again they sort of dance around because yes technically he's romano's patient not hers even Mm -hmm. though the fact that we never actually see him meet with romano or him and Mm -hmm. romano are never in the same room it's always him and lizzie um i thought it was kind of like an ethical gray area that she should be even entertaining this idea but it is but it's still yeah it is Uh, after that we go back down to the to the er uh Large stomach staple man is stuck in his wheelchair. Ha ha ha. But it gets better. Because he has to go to the bathroom while he's stuck. Ha ha ha. And Benton and Yosh pull him out. And he fall. the fat man falls on Yosh. Poor Yosh. Ha ha ha. Ugh. Yosh is the only good part of this story, though. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I, I adore Yosh so much. Um, then Carter and Lucy are watching Stephen and his mom... Carter is now feeling guilty and having second thoughts for reviving him. Uh, this yeah. next yeah. part, uh, Jerry finds a triple X sex fantasy in one of Amanda's charts, mentioning MG is for Mark Green, shows this to Carrie, and Amanda takes it and says that they're for a psych patient who is obsessed with Merv Griffin. Mm. Turns out it was Amanda Lee who wrote that book back in season three all along. 
It's Amanda Lee all along. It almost fits. How dare you? Um, And then Doug is talking to a teenage girl who is about 13 years old who just had a positive pregnancy test. This girl's name is Laura. And Doug just kind of, you know, runs her through her options. And she asks for a moment alone. Doug asks, gosh, and she sounds like she's going to get rid of the baby. But Doug asks Carol to arrange the abortion. And I was really concerned this was going to be one of those storylines where this girl just ran away Mm -hmm. after this instead of, like, getting things figured out. They do seem overly... um overly insistent on addressing the abortion issue this season like yeah abortion seems to be coming up quite a bit this season and i don't really know why like they kind of they maybe there was like a hot court case going i mean maybe i I guess it is the late 90s you know like this is there was a lot of that stuff you know it's always a hot button it's oh it's been a hot button issue for all of time so and it continues to be unfortunately but um, we go from there. Benton is trying to get Carla to have Reese stay up until he's out from work because he is swamped with all the extra stuff that Romano gave him. And uh, Rocket happens to come up right as he's on the phone with her and asks uh, Lizzie if Peter is trying to ruin their night. And when Lizzie protests, he's like, it was just a joke. And then dumps even more work on Benton. And Benton is pissed, as you might imagine. Oh, of course. Uh, we then go down. We get a 16-year-old coming in with biliary atresia. That sounds about right. It was, it, it's a liver thing, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. She's unconscious. She's on a lot of supplements for it, uh, her, but her liver is shutting down. She's extremely jaundiced. And uh, Lauren, did you have thoughts on this? I bet she's a match for Steven for a transplant. I called it. It is, it is the Christmas episode, after all. We have to make sure we have at least one saccharine moment. So, circle back to this a little later. And then we go over to uh, Amanda scolding Mark for hiding in the back Ugh. of the suture room. Uh, he's just do- he's just going to work with the unconscious for now after, uh, I want another doctor, ladies. <laughs> um, I know that feeling. Yeah. And he says, there's something about me that brings out the worst in people. And, I mean... I don't know. I don't know. I could see it. I could see it. Um, and Amanda's flirting with him. Gross. And the guy, dude tells him to shut the hell up. He's trying to sleep. <laughs> the market was another satisfied customer. Uh, then Carter is talking to Lucy about it being meant to be that Steven is there at the same time as this other girl. And because we need to have a we need to have a miracle if it, this episode is called the Miracle Worker. Yeah, but Mom isn't there to consent to the donation. Uh shit. And Steven is throwing PVCs, and Mom has signed the DNR, so Carter can't code him to get him back. Or can he? We'll find out. But then Carol goes in to talk to Laura to tell her the doctor is ready to perform the abortion. And Laura talks about how it's a mortal sin and she doesn't know what to do. Laura says her mom will kill her if she talks to her. Carol goes on to tell her that she shouldn't do it unless she can talk to someone, because this is a big decision. And Laura ends up breaking down and asks if they can call her mom. And I want to note, although I said that in kind of a like, voice, really, your body, your choice, your opinions, your choice. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Whatever. If, if you think it's a moral issue, don't do one. Fine. This girl is in her right to be conflicted about yeah. that. But it's just like Daniel said, they kind of, the last season and a half, they've kind of been put, putting it on a little, a little bit. A little bit. And uh, Steven's mom isn't back yet, and he went into VTAC, and, uh, oh, look, Carter doing something highly illegal and could probably get him charged with assault. Taking something out of Mark Green's book. Yeah, and starts to shock him and says, oh, I'll take full responsibility. Nothing will happen to me. I'm a white man. I love how Chuni's like, yeah, like hell you will. Yeah, like, bet your ass you're going to. Um. And Lucy and Shuni both refuse to help. Lucy at some one point even uh, puts her hands on the on young Steven to prevent attempt to prevent Carter from shocking him. Um, and Lucy says he's only thinking of himself, not the kids. Which yeah, yeah. I mean, at this point he's yeah he's trying to make himself feel better. Th- this is and this is not the first time that he is uh, has resuscitated somebody with a DNR, but I think it is the first time that he has ever knowingly done it. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, we then go 
back up to the uh, surgical floor where we see Lizzie and Gardner talking about where he's headed now that he's being discharged. Uh, and he says, you know, well, if I'd have known I was going to lose my prostate, I would have made more of an effort. Which is very sweet. Yeah, like he's like he's a very like nerdy guy, but he's like a very endearingly nerdy guy. Mm-hmm. I I date he's, him. He seems like a nice guy. I have a type. Not, not a it's not a fine. nice guy. TM. I want to make is, that clear. But this isn't a banco. <laughs> we'll get we'll get there when we get there. Okay, we need to stop talking about this until after we have um, Leland Orser on the show, and then. Please do a flash forward with a Debanco heavy episode. Uh, you two. Please. Oh, I know exactly which one I want to do for lols, but um, we're do- we have a different one in mind for this we'll month. See. Um, why? Why is- you guys can talk about how much you love uh, Abby and Sam, and it's not weird. But the minute I talk about how cute Debanco is, all of a sudden I'm the weirdo. No, it's, it's just because you protest. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just because we get a reaction yeah. out of you, and it's a gentle ribbing. It's not. And there's well, nothing, and, that was yeah. my nickname in high school. <laughs> uh, Everyone's stealing Daniel's bit. Yeah, how does it feel? Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna start saying who films, whose films are those? That's, how about that? That's fine. We'll put you on a sticker. Oh no, I don't want me a sticker. <laughs> he says. So what he happens? Says he next? went to the sperm bank earlier to make his deposit, uh, but he was freaking out about his potentially his last sexual experience being with a magazine. Uh, mm-hmm. At which point Lizzie asks him if he wants to grab a bite to eat, and which it is. It is objectively sweet. I still just think it is a bit of an ethical gray area here. Oh, yeah. But. For sure. Which, can we say how interesting it is that there's a sperm bank in the hospital? Yes. That was, that which was something is, yeah, I was Yeah, that's a little bit of a, of a retcon, I guess, stretch. stretch because yeah, what floor is that Earlier on? in the episode, she advises him to visit a sperm bank. She does not say go up right. to, you know, the sperm bank here in the hospital. She says you will want to visit a sperm bank at some point. And then he says, well, I went to your clinic, you know, presumably in the same hospital. It's very flimsy. But uh, Benton goes to clear Mr. Demisa, our stomach staple guy. And Yosh uh, claims that he's missing five patient dinners. And here's where it gets a little bit over the top and a little bit just a little silly. As if the last, you know, slapsticky scene of, you know, Yosh getting squashed like a bug wasn't slapsticky and silly enough. This is where it gets a little bit, a little bit too much. Uh, they find him in a supply closet at, uh, where he has vomited half a gallon of fluid and uh, has officially bur- burst a staple or busted a staple this time. Uh, so they're going to have to take him up to surgery uh, and it's it's just one of those things where it's like the visual is meant to evoke a certain emotion and it's mm-hmm. it's not great it's supposed to be disgust yeah look at like you said look at fatty who can't control himself sorry i'm looking up what uh what happens if you intentionally violate a dnr oh. order yeah like legally that definitely it, at the very least it opens you up to a loss to a hell of a loss where's jake when we need him i know right um, yeah, he's, he's in family law. He's not. What nothing. happens next? Uh, what happens next is Carter goes to find, to goes to, Carter goes to the chapel to find Mrs. Richards and tries to convince her to donate the young Stephen's organs. And she, you know, you know, being an emotional, an emotional mother who's trying to cope with the loss of her son says, I can't think of about another child's problems right now. Which, I mean, cold, but also I get. I'm such a bitch. My brain just went, that's not very Christian <laughs> of you. I'm In going the to chapel, hell. no I'm, less. Between this and um, my apparently very divisive thoughts on episode eight, I'm, I just <laughs> have no soul. It's fine. I mean, you're living with me. Of course you have no soul. Yep. Uh, then Mr. Demisa, we find out he has, in fact, perfed his abdomen. He has a fever. Benton is rushing for Romano or the attending on call to show up so they can get in and fix everything. Uh, there's no luck. So he goes to start this, the procedure himself. Shirley is skeptic. Like, you need to wait for an attending. What the fuck are you doing? But she's not going to stop him because, you know, it's not her place. So Nurse Shirley's just like, dude, you gotta, you gotta wait. Um... Doug then gets mad at Carol for calling Laura's mom because Laura's mom brought in a priest to talk to to young Laura. And Doug says that if he had known, he would have tried to stop her. Uh, And then let's go to our next audio clip here. Benton is uh, removing all of the food from from Mr. Demias's stomach. Are those baked beans? Yeah. And french fries. Ooh, that's rank. What's this? Cold slaw? 
Ah, here's a good one. What was that? Mystery meat? What the hell do you think you're doing operating on my patient? Saving his life, you jerk. Get me a gown and gloves now. Peter, get your hands out of my patient. Okay, give me a little suction here. Sucker's clogged. Yeah, it's a cranberry. <laughs> Let's go, Shirley, gloves. Where the hell is she? Who? Who do you think? What'd you do, give her extra work to hang her up here? I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Step away. Fine. You give your permission to start without me? He was going into septic shock. You're a resident, Peter. You don't take a piss without getting permission. Where the hell's Lizzie, off doing your scut? She left an hour ago. Hmm. What the hell do you use to make this incision, a chainsaw? He's been drinking. What? He's drunk. Yeah. Retract the bell. Retract the bell, please. Dr. Romano, have you been drinking? You questioning my surgical fitness? How many drinks have you had? Go to hell. Dr. Romano, I'm gonna have to ask you to step back, please. Sponge. Dr. Romano! Touch me again, Peter, and I'll deck you. Give me the sponge. Look, you're drunk! All right, Shirley, give me some clean gloves and a gown. Coming right up. That lovely sound you hear at the end there is, is uh, Romano just whiffing his punch and like basically falling down and hitting his head on the, uh, on, what, the, on like a tray, I think. Yeah, it's on the supply tray. He hits it on like the bottom of that. Yeah. Also, like, how much of a territorial dweeb do you have to be to be like, did you assign her other work to keep her from I me? Know. Ugh, yeah. Creep uh, factor. Put your put your dick away. It's fine. He's very drunk if his well, we'll find out just how drunk he was in a in a little bit. As- assuming well, I'll get to that when we get to that. Um I just I, I I love seeing him get his comeuppance finally, even if it's like self inflicted. And mm-hmm. I I really like Shirley in this scene too. I really uh, Shirley yeah. gets yeah. to do some actual stuff for a change. Just just hey, uh, he's wasted. Yeah, and also and then and also, also too like gets to like actually emote a little bit at the end of the scene, not just provide yeah. you know expositional dialogue. Yeah, the silly the silliness of all the food that they're finding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's great. <sighs> it's the one part where I'm actually okay with this. Yeah, but, yeah. It leads to something good because it gives us this. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but then, speaking of foodstuffs, Jerry down at the admit desk asks who ordered a bunch of stuff for the desk, and it turns out Amanda ordered a bunch of provisions for the impromptu staff Christmas party. Uh, Connie calls Jerry a grouch for asking everyone to move stuff off the desk and into the lounge, and Mark's lab coat is now missing. It's a very blink and you miss it line, but hmm. hmm. It's totally normal. Totally normal. These things happen all the time. ER is haunted. Yeah, in an urban ER. It's fine. ER is haunted. It's so much more like harrowing to watch in retrospect, like when you know where this is going. But it is probably, I mean, it is, I think, a very well done story told the first time through. Like, it's kind of like, you know, like watching a movie like Sixth Sense or something where they just drop a bunch of little breadcrumbs along the way. And like, yeah, of course, you can see it coming a mile away in hindsight but at the time when you saw it for the first time it's like a lot of this stuff is just throwaway dialogue that is not that uncommon to have in an episode can that be one of your new movies that you watch this month spoopy uh sure yeah okay so then we go to carter and lucy talking in the stairwell about him being wrong uh lucy tells him (laughs) that mrs richards i'm sorry just just i like that lucy just talking about him being wrong just leave it at that it's a fair a fair conversation to be had. Sorry to interrupt, but it just made me get uh, Lucy tells him that Mrs. Richards bumps, bumped into the girl's family and that she ended up consenting to the liver transplant. And uh, Lucy introduced them. And this is, I guess this is probably the most like Christmassy episode, Christmas episode thing where Carter calls her an instrument of God, which is. That's, that's a through line from is. the patient letter he was reading earlier, which is cute. It is. It is. But yeah. They, they've actually been, you know, for for only the second time, I think, this season, actually been pretty civil with one another this whole episode. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought he was going to rip her a new one when she su- when she suggested the donor body earlier. Yeah. 
There's a couple of op- there's a couple mom. of opportunities, you know, for him, like especially when she objects to him violating the DNR, like that that yeah. could have been yeah. a big potential moment for them to blow up, and it doesn't yeah. happen. Which I did, which I did look up. Uh, it is against the law to do that. You could be found guilty of uh, medical battery. Oh. So, which basically means you're treating someone without their cons- without their express consent. So, like when Mark did that LP on the woman with uh, meningitis. Yeah. It it's I was only looking in the context of DNRs. Yeah, right. Okay, fair. So because well, so I'm like reviving someone who has a legal who has a legal and you know enforceable whatever legal requirements. Yeah. I more yeah. meant the medical battery without someone's consent part. Yeah. That's more what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. I was just looking in the context of DNRs. Interesting. Gotcha. Uh, well, then we go from there. Uh, Doug is apologizing to Carol in the uh, medicine lockup for snapping at her. They get a very sweet Doug and Carol moment. It actually, is, I, I think this is kind of it is kind of like a you know whatever moment, but it, it's as we get down the home stretch here with Doug, it's kind of like you're starting to mark like lasts, like you know, like is this going to be the last time we see them in the drug lockup having this like one on one conversation, which is like kind of been a staple of their relationship over the five seasons or you know four and a half seasons that they've been doing this we've seen a lot of these long shots of the two of them in in sequence talking and i don't know it's kind of it's bittersweet thinking that like we're getting down to the last couple here um but he's not sorry enough about snapping at her to go to mass which is another thing i get but let's uh round out the uh with a short audio clip uh benton goes in the surgical lounge lounge and finds romano just finishing up my disciplinary report, recommending that your residency be terminated for operating without an attending. Well, you turn that in, I'll be forced to defend myself. Well, good luck, Peter. I mean, I'll have to turn in these labs showing that your blood alcohol level was 0.12. You shouldn't have even been driving, let alone operating on someone. Don't bluff me, Peter. You didn't draw my blood? Not from there. Yeah, that's, that's where I'm like, I don't know if they actually drew his blood or if Benton's just holding papers to scare him like double bluff i love how he looks at his like belt line or whatever to like see if he got yeah yeah no he's 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 totally checking to see if he, if they drew from his junk uh. <laughs> that's how i read that yeah same oh uh, i i love I him would, seeing like, him in I peril would... that's just my favorite yes no yeah. uh, i was just like there's just a fun moment of come up it's good yes i like so it good. yep uh then we yep then we go down to the staff christmas party and Amanda, stealthy with the Polaroid, gets a picture of Mark, like, hey guys, smile, and just happens to get Mark perfectly. And everyone is loving on her hot toddies, and Jerry's just still real grumpy, and he's like, I just want a beer. <laughs> Jerry's not buying this shit. He knows. Um, and then we see Mrs. Richards praying over the girl that got the liver, um, and Carol and Doug headed out and playing in the snow. And I also want to note, I think they've done this before, and this is the first time I've noted or commented on it, as they're walking out of the ambulance bay on, like, the corner where the street is, there is an an oil barrel with a fire (laughs) and two homeless men sitting warming their hands over it. Now, I know urban Chicago is bad, and there's nothing good that happens here, but we don't have oil drum fires in the mid, like, by our hospitals. Yeah, typically not. In, in what's guess. ostensibly so that, supposed to be downtown Chicago. Like. Right. Yeah. Like under a highway maybe, but not like in the middle of the street in downtown Chicago. Mm. I promise you, if you come to visit Chicago, this is not something you will see. So this this took my, instead of a sign for the episode, this was what caught yeah. me. Was I was just like, as, as it was wheeling out, it was like, okay, it looks perfect with the snow. But then I was just like, I actually thought about it for a second. And I was like, wait, what the fuck? It's one of those things that they don't want you to think about for longer than 30 seconds. Right. It's like, oh, it's cold. Of course there'd be a fire. No, it, no. It just, it, it, it fucked me up. Uh, well, then we go, th- here's where we start to get our, like, our, uh, like, sappy Christmas music. Like, I think they are actually playing, is it Silent yeah. Night or something yeah I can't, I, remember, I can't remember which carol it is but it, to the and i actually to the point where i went and oh no it's come all ye faithful that's what it is um yeah. because i went on a bit of a like scavenger hunt because i was convinced as i was watching this that i thought it was uh Hale singing this like it sounds like her voice and i went and i tried to find like any evidence that she had ever sung that song on like an album or because she's put out several albums and stuff like i was like 
convinced like that that was something here but i was not able to find evidence of it spotify or not spotify uh what's the the what's the the one that like recognizes songs on your phone shazam like i tried to yeah. i tried to get that to like listen to it and see if it would recognize like who was singing it and it just it wouldn't do it but if you know who sings this version of this song i would like to know it is a very well done version um, but this is where we get kind of our like sweet saccharine Christmas episode stuff. And you think it's like, Oh, very fun. You know, like nothing end of a Christmas episode. Like as we've talked about many times before, every time one of these pops up, Christmas episodes are usually very dispensable and usually like just kind of like over the top saccharine and, or in the case of last season, um, you know, we talk about an old lady rapist, you know, whatever. Uh, it's totally normal. <laughs> yeah, totally normal. Um, but yeah, we see Benton getting to see Reese, uh, cause Carla brought him to the hospital. Uh, we get to see Lizzie and Mr. Gardner having their cute little dinner over at docks. We get to see Mrs. Richards leaving for the last time. Carter giving her her crucifix back and you think we're done. Uh, no, but we get, uh, the reveal that we've not so subtly been hinting at. Um, we got, a uh, this lovely, this is, it's, it's so creepy. It's, it's one of those scenes from ER that will stick in my head forever. Yeah. It's so iconic. The Christmas ornament shrine at Amanda's house. I mean, it's a tree, but it's, a, it's not a tree, but it looks like a shrine. It, yeah, it's it's her Christmas tree, but she's she's meticulously cutting out his picture while wearing his lab coat. <laughs> yeah. And his ID. Yeah, and... He, and also after she puts the hit the ornament with his face next to one with her face on it, uh, she puts on his gloves as well. And she like smells everything. Yeah, and just says, Merry Christmas, Amanda. And they're together now in real life as of 2020. I know. I, I wonder if they... Oh, like, I get what you meant. I'm sure they haven't, but like... Part of me wonders if they've gone back and watched this like as a couple and like, laughed, <laughs> or not even laughed, but just like, oh, this is a little weird in retrospect. Like this is yeah. a little, <laughs> like a little weird. Uh, yeah, wow. Like I mean, yes, you're right. Like it, it, they sort of have been beating us over the head with this the whole episode. But I still have to put myself in that that headspace of like what I would have felt like if I was watching this in 1998. Without... I would have shit myself, right? Because this is sort of a very jarring reveal on what should be a very forgettable episode. Well. Especially when Jerry's been telling us the whole episode. They tell us point blank, guys, she's doing this. Yeah. And and also, too, before I get too far away from it, props to her for playing this so well. Yes. Like, she really, like, because all along, you know, she's, we've no like, like we said earlier in the episode, like, she plays a, a good liar very well, but she also she's, plays the she's measured. She's a little odd. A little odd, but plays the measured aspects of the character very well. But then here, she manages to, without really changing much of anything about what she's doing, uh, manages to convey this, like, chilling quality that is just, it sends a chill down your spine even just thinking about it. And it's not like she's like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde where she just, like, rips the mask off and becomes crazy, you know, cackling evil. No, she's, like, very, like, dead behind the eyes and is just very, she has that really, like... Ooh, just unsettling quality just, just to her. Merry Christmas, Amanda. Oh man. So yeah, that was an episode. I liked it. Yeah, I, no, it it was good. It was. It's one of the more. It's probably the most memorable Christmas episode mm-hmm. to me, just because of the a because of the elf and uh, Romano biffing it. Yeah, and also and then Amanda Lee. So like there's a there's a lot of memorable scenes even if it's not like the most the best put together it's not the best put together episode mm-hmm. but like there's a lot of good stuff going in on there it just doesn't feel kind of doesn't quite feel cohesive to me no it, it's completely I think in my mind especially now that we're like going through it you know blow by blow like I, I remember thinking as I watched it like it's a good episode like a good ep- just a good standard episode but it's a great christmas episode it's mm-hmm. it's th- i think it's the best christmas episode thus far and maybe you know stay tuned for the next 10 seasons we'll see if it also- it, it gets topped also a good halloween episode <laughs> right yeah it, it works on a lot of levels um but it is sort of an episode i think that is completely propped up by the amanda lee stuff mm-hmm. like yes. if, if you take the amanda lee stuff out of this 
this goes from being arguably the best Christmas episode of the series to maybe the worst. Like yeah. it's it's pretty bad outside of the Amanda it's Lee stuff. Like, pretty schmaltzy. Carter's Carter and Lucy's stuff, while it has its moments, is pretty schmaltzy. Uh, Carol's Carol and Doug's abortion detour is quite preachy and quite bludgeoning and really weird and really yeah, weird has, has no place in this episode yeah and then of course the whole you know fatty has no control storyline could also uh-huh. go i mean it, le- it leads to something really great it, romano biffing it but romano could biff it on any surgery romano yeah. we didn't have to center it didn't it around have to be a severely overweight patient who's yeah. yeah. So the Amanda Lee stuff is really the glue that is holding this entire episode together. And and it's doing a fantastic job. Like I said, it's taking it from what should objectively be a mediocre to pretty bad episode and turning it into, like Lauren said, one of those images and one of those memories that is just burned into your retinas forever where you're like, holy fuck. Like, that's a moment that you just don't forget. And this is, I think, the moment where, like, uh, hearing that Amanda Lee's only with us for four episodes makes you go like what because this moment is so indelibly like marked in your brain that you're like how does this only matter for four episodes yeah and that this is her third or fourth appearance yeah next week is is the conclusion like next week is where we will get the resolution on all this it's crazy to think about it feels like she just got here yeah Mm -hmm. so solid it looks like we all think it's a solid episode all around yeah yeah easy easy a bb plus happy holidays everyone what do the listeners have to say about it, Lauren? Oh, plenty. Uh, first off, I can imagine. <laughs> uh, first off, I want to note Andrea B, first time commenter. Welcome to the chaos, Andrea. Um, Andrea B says, first time commenter. Am I the only one other than Jerry who could see issues with two charts per patient? I mean, how can you guarantee all information gets on both? And I want Elizabeth's hair. She rocks the messy bun slash ponytail look. Agreed. Uh, Franner W says, in my head, it took way longer than this for Dr. Lee to reach this level of wrongness. Yeah. But then I realized I was combining her with Julie Delpy from a bit down the line and getting their storylines all mixed up. I'm excited because I don't even recognize that name. Uh, at Baker Basic on Twitter says, this is just a sad episode for the most part, especially with the whole transplant storyline. I love that Benton wants to spend Christmas with his son. He's a trying dad. But also, holy shit, Amanda Lee going through Green's Locker, that's some setup for next episode. I remember Corday and the musician and Carrie recognizing him and trying to talk to him about his music while he's in distress is funny to me for some reason. I don't remember much about this episode, but I remember enjoying it. At the full-time dad on Twitter says, There's a lot to unpack in this episode, but the plot twist at the end was absolutely brilliant. Did not see Amanda Lee's insanity coming until it was staring at you under the mistletoe. But there are other great story arcs, too. Carter and Lucy are actually still civil, which has to set a record. You get you start to get a glimpse of Benton and Corday's dynamic post-breakup, which becomes one of the show's best platonic relationships. And, of course, Romano's drunk ass taking a header in the surgical suite. Priceless. <laughs> Amen. All right, well, that's about going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. Greatly, greatly appreciate it. Uh, the show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. And for only $5 a month, you can get a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry. Poor Jerry. <laughs> uh, Two-week two early access to all of our cast and crew interviews. And over 20 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a bonus show called The Lounge, where we talk about whatever's going on, going on for us in our lives in that moment, movie reviews, where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member, and flash forwards, where we do a commentary track for future ER episodes. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Set the Tone ER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. And we are at Saying the Tone Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Saying the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is y-o-u dot e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Uh, Folks can find me dodging that question by reminding you all to please rate and review us on iTunes. If you use iTunes, we would love some extra, extra ratings on there just to help us boost and, you know, get more of you. 
We love y'all. We want more. We're power hungry. We want more listeners. <laughs> Why would we want more people listening to this nonsense? Because I want everyone to know how stupid I am. Okay. Um, and also a reminder that we do in fact have a merch store, which was Daniel's crazy idea. We haven't posted about it in a while. And I know we've gotten some new listeners and people on the Facebook page since then. Uh, link is in the Facebook page somewhere. I'm sure we'll find it. <laughs> it's on the link. Tree, it's in the link tree things that you find that you'll find like under like the Facebook post about this episode. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah, I believe it is the top link. Yep. I think it's a, a bonfire merch store. So also if you just Google bonfire setting the tone podcast, you'll probably find it. Yeah. But so if you want a mug with Lauren's face on it, you cartoon face. Yeah. Cartoon face. Whose films are those mugs do exist. And I'm sorry. <laughs> uh you can find me on twitter i am at random gamer that's jm3r and i am not on a sticker or a mug or anything like that thank god um you can also find me on the popular courts youtube channel doing a let's play of mass effect 2 new episodes of that are out every friday and you can find those videos and much much more at youtube.com slash the popular court and thanks again everyone very much for listening please join us again next time have a great week